Well, I wish you were here with us as we were able to worship together and sing those songs, but it's so appropriate as we hear those that uh, those are just reminders of the truth that we all need at this time. So certainly, as we said this morning, that we are on on unprecedented, uh, unusual times for all of us. And, you know, some weeks when you're preparing a message, the, uh, you have to kind of go through and it really resonates and you think about how it's going to apply for that week. And sometimes events pop up where you take that message and you say, okay, I need to just get rid of that and start over with something new. And then there's weeks when you look at this message that you were working on and you realize this seems like this is actually exactly what we need for this week. And this is one of those. You know, we planned this series called Into the Wilderness all the way back in the fall. We were planning it and working on it, thinking this will lead up to uh, Easter, a season of Lent. Uh, and so we wanted to go through what is it like in times of our wilderness where God is teaching us and encouraging us and challenging us. And then everything started happening these last few weeks. And it made us think like, wow, this series is actually exactly what we're all going through Even if we weren't in any sort of wilderness, now here we are in some unknown territory. And it's a wilderness where some of us don't even know when it's going to end or what the journey is going to look like. I I was thinking this week of how many things have changed in just a matter of a few days. How many even experiences have people had that are gone? I I think of those of you who maybe are going through health issues that were not expected, or facing some potential unknown with economics and finances. Even some of our own college students who have been sent home, some for the remainder of the year, not able to experience what they were experiencing. Our own son was studying abroad in in Spain and enjoying his time, looking forward to traveling throughout Europe, and just yesterday was told that we are locking the country down and you have to get out if you don't want to be stuck indoors. It's amazing how quickly things can happen and change, and that's what a lot of us are going through right now. So today, as we lean into this series and talk about Into the Wilderness, I think it takes on new meaning for all of us. And the theme for today is a time of dependence. What does it look like when we need to depend on God to provide what we need? And so I want to invite you to pray with me as we get started and dive into the Word. God, we thank you again for today. Uh, I thank you again for all things. Lord, we don't want to only praise you when things are going exactly as we want them to. We don't want to only praise you when we have what we think we need. But God, we want to praise you in the highs and lows of life. We want to praise you when things are taken away. We want to train our hearts to turn to you, to trust you, to depend on you, God. And so, though this is not how any of us would have written the script... We thank you for this season, and we pray that not only would we, as a part of Seacoast, but people all around our county, our state, our nation, and the world would be forced back and reexamine their lives to consider what matters, and Lord, would you draw more and more people to you through this wilderness. So we thank you now, God, and I pray that as we look into your word, that you would transform us, you would change us where we're at. In your name, amen. 
So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapters 15 and 16 today. And for some of you, maybe you're gathering with your your whole family, with your kids with you, which is uh, uh, somewhat different than some of you, what uh, many of you do week after week. So I encourage you kids, if you're listening and following along, maybe you can draw pictures and, and, and that relate to what you're hearing and think about what this means for you too, because this applies to all of us no matter what age we're at. So we're gonna start off in Exodus chapter 15, and the story of where we're at here is in the wilderness. It, the nation of Israel was just led out of slavery in Egypt. They had been living in Egypt and become slaves under the Egyptians. They were forced into labor, and God went through a series of events, miraculously led them out of Egypt, which is the season that the Jewish people will celebrate in just a few weeks as we look at Passover to remember those events. But soon after, immediately after they're led out of that, we find them here in Exodus chapter 15. And in Exodus chapter 15, they're now outside of Egypt in the Sinai Peninsula. And I want you to pick this up in Exodus chapter 15. And we're going to look at as beginning in verse 22. It says, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. They came to Marah. They could not drink the waters, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses. And I want you to notice that phrase, they grumbled. It's a theme of this morning. They grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. He threw the tree into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and a regulation and tested them, and he said, hey, if you'll give, if you'll pay attention to the voice of the Lord your God and do what's right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and all of his statutes, I'll put none of these diseases which I put on the Egyptians on you, for I, the Lord, am your healer. And then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped besides the waters. So what we have here is they're led out into the wilderness. They're wandering in the desert. They come to this first spring of water that is bitter, probably filled with salt water. There's uh, the springs in the area that we know of uh, are are very kind of salty. They have a high, and so there's also a tradition that there's some bushes or plants in that area that if you put it in the water, it will take some of the saline nature of it away and you could uh, drink the waters. Whether that's happening here or not, what we have is the first test where Israel was depending or needing to depend on God. They're in the wilderness. And essentially what God's saying is, hey, I'm calling you out of your prison as slaves and I'm leading you to somewhere different. I'm leading you into what's the, the promised land. And and the promised land for the Israelites wasn't a place where they were going to go and never have any hardships. It wasn't a place where they were going to go and and just be able to sit back and have everything taken to them, given to them, and, and where life would be perfectly easy. The promised land was a place where God was leading them and saying, in this location, I will build my nation, and I'm calling my people to represent my ways, to represent me to all the nations. And that's why he gives them the statute. Pay attention to the voice of your Lord God. Pay attention to his ways, because as you learn his ways, this is what the nations, when they look to you as my people, they will know who I am as your God as they see the way you live. So he's calling them out of it it, it, from the wilderness. And the first thing that we see here 
is often in our wilderness, or, or, or we see that they're being called from their prison to their promised land or to their purpose. And, and for us, often, we, we forget that on that road from our prison or the life that we were formerly had before Christ to the purpose, the calling he has, sometimes you have to pass through the desert. And, and for us, we often want to get from the hardships to the promised land, and we don't want to go on that journey of what's in between. And the first thing we see here is the Israelites, on their journey from their prison to the promised land, they have to go through the desert. They're going to have to learn some things. There's some lessons for them in this journey. For many of us, when we go from that place apart from Christ to a life with Christ, there's a process, there's a journey that we're going through. And on that journey, we learn all kinds of things along the way. And that's where that theme today of learning this dependence on God is going to come up over and again. And so let's look back at the Egyptians. I mean, at the Israelites, sorry. You know, when you uh, speak to an empty room, I can relate now to Jimmy Fallon the other night trying to tell jokes to an empty room and, and you don't know what's going to work. So even when I mess up, I don't know how you're responding, but enjoy your morning. <laughs> Exodus chapter 16, now the story goes on, and it says, They sent out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, and which is between Elim and the Sinai. And on the fifteenth day of the second month after the departure of the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And they said, Oh, would that we have died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people will go out and gather a day's portion every day that I might test them whether or not they'll walk in my instructions. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it'll be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against him. And what are we that you grumble against us? So Moses said, This is what will happen. When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning, for the Lord hears your grumblings which you grumble against him. So what we have now happening is they wandered further into the desert, and the Israelites were saying, oh, it would have been better if we just died in Egypt because now here we are and we're hungry. There's nothing to eat out here. Look around. And God miraculously provides. He provides two things for him. He says, in the morning when you wake up, there'll be a substance. When the dew melts, you'll find the substance on the ground that they later called manna, roughly related to the Hebrew words of what is this. And, and so it, it means manna, and it's a little uh, described as a little flake-type frosted flake or whatever that was left on the ground. And that would be their food in the morning. And then in the evening, God said, I'll provide meat for you, and there would be quail that you could gather and eat the quail at night. It's interesting that on a side note to this story that historians and biblical scholars have tried to figure out what is manna, what, how did the quail, how was it provided, and, and there actually are a couple interesting explanations. They're not core to the story, but there is a, uh, the sap of the tamarisk 
tree, there's these aphids that eat it and leave behind essentially something that's described that looks a lot like manna, and it happens for a couple months every year out in the desert. Uh, Maybe not in the great abundance that they had here in this story, but it could be an indication of a natural way that God was providing uh, manna. And then secondly, we know that in the springtime, there's a migration of quails that go from Sudan up through the Sinai Peninsula. In fact, to this day, there are times when there are so many quails that land on the ground that they have to land on top of each other. Local fishermen have even seen small boats get sunk because of the amount of quail that land on top of it looking for a place to rest. One thing they know about the quail is that they get exhausted, they get tired, so they fly very low to the ground. And when the winds blow in the Sinai Peninsula or the rains fall, these quail actually fall to the ground in the desert where the Israelites were camping. So, again, these are natural explanations, but they don't explain how it happened all year round. But it gives you an idea that sometimes God uses natural things to provide for us supernaturally. And whether that's how it occurred or it was just all purely uh, unexplainable, the point here is, once again, Israel is led to a place in the wilderness where they're going to have to learn what dependence upon God looks like. And we find that there's a lesson that you get in dependence, and that is dependence often builds trust. It's one, the first point for us today. On the road to the promised land, and we're learning dependence on God, we find that dependence in us builds trust. Notice what he says in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. He says, go out each day and gather what you need. There's a few things there. It's each day. Every day you're going to go out and gather what you need. It doesn't say, hey, just do it once a week and we'll we'll provide for you. It's every day go and get what you need. And notice the phrase, what you need for the day. It was a challenge. It was a test of their trust. The dependence on God here was, hey, Don't look at this and say, what if God doesn't show up tomorrow? Let's get extra. Because what we actually found is when they gathered more than they needed, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 20, we see that some of them said, I'm going to get enough for tomorrow too, just in case. When I'm walking through the grocery store and I see a roll of toilet paper, I'm going to get two, just in case. And so what we find is they went and some of them gathered more than they needed for the day. And in the morning... Worms had infested their food supply. Where God was saying, I want you to learn to trust that I will show up day after day. I will provide what you need. So each day, trust me, I'll provide. You know, in our teaching team, as we were talking about this, we were realizing that some of us, uh, the phrase I love that one person said was, often God provides for us, and we try to squeeze every little piece of that provision out of it. Instead of just enjoying the gift that God gives to us for the moment, we try to maximize it and make it benefit us even more and more. And I'm not saying there's not wisdom in savings and in planning for the future. Of course, all of that is us learning to navigate through life today. But how many times does God provide what we need and what we say is, Lord, all I really need is a little bit more. Just give me more. It's so much in our nature to think, I'm not sure if enough is enough. It's interesting that even in this season of Lent, we've challenged you to participate with us. Lent is about sacrifice. It's about giving something up that reminds us of our need or our dependence 
on God. It reminds us that we often look for that to find those needs fulfilled in things and in, 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 in other places. And so Lent, as we sacrifice, give up something, it often just shows us how dependent we are on things that are beyond provision to give us satisfaction or what we think we need. Lent also drives us to prayer. Every time we crave those things or every, as we begin the morning, we say, God, we need you. We need to depend on you. We can't do this on our own. And Lent is the season that's supposed to remind us of that. Lent is also a season that part of it is generosity. In the ancient tradition, it was giving alms. These are the three elements of, of Lent, sacrifice and prayer and alms. It's curious that in this season, as a nation and a truly at all the nations across the globe where my wife and I were talking yesterday and we said we're kind of in a forced communal Lent. <laughs> we're all being asked to give something up. We're all being asked to depend on things other than what we normally depend on. And in this season, it's driving many people to prayer. And we're hoping that it also drives people to generosity, to look out and care for those who don't have as much. See, all of these elements come up and, and we realize that even in the season of Lent where we give up these things, they remind us that we still have enough to be generous, that we still can be aware of other people's needs because all of a sudden we're not focused on more. We're focused on enough. In our time of dependence for Israel and for us, we realize in the wilderness, we learn the difference between what we think we need and what we actually need. What the Israelites learned was that God was giving them what they needed, not what they thought they needed. Maybe for you and for me today, we're learning that we have what we need and not what we think we need. And we still have enough. Matt was uh, sharing this week as we talked about this passage, and he shared something that someone shared with him at one point when he was in the wilderness and said this, and I want you to hear it. Don't miss out on what God wants to teach you in this season that you're in, because what you are learning in this time, you're going to need again in the future. Don't miss out on what God is teaching you in these seasons of the wilderness, because you're going to need this later on for something. For all of us, as we learn to trust, don't miss out on this season for us. How can we trust that God will provide and that he is enough? As we look at what's the next thing that we learn here in the Israelites is that they did, they learned trust, but the next thing that they learned is dependence produces in them contentment. It produces contentment. It's very much related to the trust piece. But in the wilderness, we get more acquainted with our needs. We, we really start to see, okay, here's the difference between what we thought we needed and what we need. And so we start to learn what contentment actually looks like. But notice what happens in this process. Look again in chapter 16, verse 3. Sometimes in that process of learning contentment, we look back on our past and we remember things differently. I look at this. They were out in the wilderness. God's about to provide everything they needed. And in verse 3, the sons of Israel say to Moses, well, it would have been better if we died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Okay, if you just stop there, you say, seriously, you guys are being a little ungrateful right now. This is one of those where the dad says, I'm just going to stop the car and you're going to go back home. We're not going on vacation if you think that's so much better. But they go on. 
And they say, remember when we sat around by pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. Now you brought us to the wilderness to kill us, to die of hunger. It's amazing that their memory of slavery became glorified. Oh, our life was so much better when we were slaves. We had pots of meat. We ate everything we wanted. When we look at the story of the Israelites and the slavery, we don't see a story of happy people sitting around eating pots of meat, eating to their full. We see people being beaten, people being oppressed, needs being taken away. But sometimes when we're in the wilderness, sometimes when things are taken from us, we look in the past and we say, oh, it would have been better. It was so much better then. I think that even a lot of our young people who wrestle with their faith, one of the big things that often comes up is they look around at all their friends and say, it just seems like they have it easier. Seems like their lives are better. I mean, you're calling me to a life of following Christ, a life of loving others and being compassionate and being selfless. You're, at, you're calling me to a life where I don't enjoy all the abundance of what God's provided for me, but I'm actually generous with what he's given with others. That doesn't seem, it seems like everyone else has it better. Even in Psalm chapter 73, the writer is questioning that. He says, as for me, my foot had almost slipped. When I looked around and I saw the abundance and the life of those who don't follow the Lord, it seemed like it was better. And I wanted that life. Sometimes in our season of wilderness, we look back and we think, man, maybe it would be better if I wasn't depending on God for what I need. What are we learning in these? And actually, I think these seasons, we can learn contentment. Think of what's been stripped away from us in our culture just this week. In fact, I started off the week, I went down to Belize with our high school pastor where we're setting up a mission trip for our high schoolers. We went down there. We were enjoying meeting some people who truly are poor, who are struggling to live each day. But then we saw kind of the the culture there and some of the relaxed nature of being down in the Caribbean. And we thought, this is great. Meanwhile, back home... We're hearing increasing concerns about the coronavirus. Things are being taken away. By the time we got home from this trip, we went into response mode of, okay, what are we going to do about our Sunday morning? We can't gather as a large group anymore. Our kids are coming home from school. In fact, our kids just got a month-long spring break, and they are sad. They wish they were back in Egypt where they could go to school every day. But that was stripped away. Then Little League games were canceled. High school games were canceled. I received terrible news that March Madness was canceled. Laker games are canceled. All of these things all of a sudden are stripped away. But you know what happened is yesterday I was out in my front yard and we noticed more families were out. Kids were playing. My neighbors said, hey, come over. Let's hang out. And in the moment, sometimes you realize, wow, what we have is actually a lot. And I just wonder if in this season, all these things that are being stripped away, are there things in there that have become idols for us? Are there things in here that all of a sudden we thought we needed? Oh, we need our kids to be in sports. And I'm not saying they shouldn't. I love that our kids are in sports. In fact, I'm going to be bored for a month. Let's be honest. But how many of us has that become more important? 
for how many of us is that the pots of meat that we used to have? And now that's stripped away. What about even the significance or what it means to be uh, in your workplace or away at school? The, the travel experience that I, ha- I was going to visit my son in Europe. We're going to go down to Morocco. We have this great trip planned. And right now it might not happen. And I'm kind of frustrated about that. And then I have to ask, Lord, do I have what I need in you, even if that's stripped away? And I, I hope it still happens, and it may. But even if it doesn't, does that change who God is to me? It actually helps me see that in this time of dependence, I can learn contentment. Lord, we really do have what we need in you. I love the phrase that came up this week as we talked about this. It said this, you don't know that Jesus is all you need until he is all you have. Maybe for some of us here in this season, we're realizing that Jesus really is all we need. The busyness of life of Southern California, the pursuit of more and more, the bigger houses, nicer cars, all of that needs to be on hold for a moment. And maybe for us, we'll realize Jesus really is all we need. And that's not saying we don't work, we don't pay our bills, we don't need food. We need all of those things. But without Christ, life is incomplete. We learn contentment in these times of dependence. We learn what really matters. There's one other lesson, or one other thing that happens from dependence. We learn to trust. We learn contentment. But the other thing happens here at the end of chapter 16. Let's go all the way down to verse 23. It says this, actually verse 22. It says, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observant, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you bake, boil what you boil, and all that is left over, put aside and keep until morning. So they, put it, they did it, they put it aside till morning, just as Moses had uh, ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. So on the sixth day, they could gather enough for two days. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Lord's Sabbath. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you'll gather, and on the seventh, the Sabbath, there will be none. So it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they didn't find anything. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain in your place. Let no man go out on a seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The other thing we learn about dependence is dependence is an act of worship. The whole idea of giving a Sabbath is one day of the week to set aside and say, God, We trust that what you give us is enough. Instead of grinding on that seventh day to say, I still need to get ahead. I need just a little bit more. I need more for myself. A Sabbath rest is a a way of worshiping God and saying, I am going to put my belief, my trust, my contentment, all of that in you, and I'm going to put it in practice by resting, by just enjoying you on the seventh day. The whole purpose of Sabbath was a day to acknowledge that God truly is our provider, that he is enough, that we rest. And what Sabbath looks like today has changed greatly. But are there seasons and moments in your life where you take a break and say, God, I want to trust you to be enough. 
remember our time with our family living in Israel, one thing that we really uh, didn't struggle with, but it took a while to adjust to, was literally on Saturdays, from Friday night to Saturday night, nothing was open, nothing happened. And so you were forced to, in the morning, we'd walk to our church gathering that gathered Saturday mornings. We would worship with other Christians, and we had to walk all the way home. And the one-mile walk took our family about four hours. We had little kids. But it took so long because we would end up stopping in a park. We'd have lunch together with other people. The kids would play, and you realize there's nothing else to do. It was such an amazing moment of forced rest. And just to say, God, today can just be about you and being about presence with other people who believe in you, others who are pursuing you. Dependence can be an act of worship. It teaches us in the wilderness that God can be our strength. There's a story I read this week, and as a boy and his father were walking along a road, and they came across a really large boulder. And the boy said to his father, do you think that if I use all my strength, I can move this rock? And his dad looked at him and said, if you use all your strength, I'm sure you can do it. And the boy began to push on the rock and push on it. And he was giving all of his energy. But he couldn't move it. The rock didn't move. Discouraged, he looked up at his dad and said, dad, you were wrong. I can't do it. And the father looked at him, put his arm around the boy's shoulder and said, no, son. I wasn't wrong. You didn't use all your strength. You didn't ask me for help. And together, the two of them pushed the rock. See, sometimes in the wilderness, in a time of dependence, we are forced to step back from ourselves, to realize the strength that that we're going to need to face what you're in right now, what we're in as a nation, isn't just going to be about you being strong enough. It's not about you being smart enough, wise enough, have enough savings, make all the right decisions with your stocks. It's not about any of that. It's saying, what is all the strength that God provides, depending on him, depending on his people, as we talked about. One of the ways God will provide for some of you in this season is going to be as others come around you to love you, to care for you. All of your strength we find God will provide. He's going to use a lot of ways to do it. But a time of dependence is a time when we can step back and say, this doesn't have to be all on me about me. I know for many of us, we're in, as I said, just kind of new territory. As I've talked with some of you this week, some of you are feeling really real anxiety and fear, wondering what's happening. Some of you are feeling really cynical And some of you are kind of skeptical of this whole thing and saying, I I just don't know if the response is equal to the concern. Some of you are feeling anger. Some of you are feeling like life has been turned against you and it's not fair. And all of those emotions are are fair. All of those emotions are okay. Because this is new territory. But wherever you are on that spectrum, we want to encourage you as a church to not use these to find yourself to, to look for reasons to be more and more angry or to say, God, you must not be there. But let's use this as a time to say, God, wow, thank you. 
for taking everything else away so we can see who you are? Can we as a church do this for our community? As everything's being taken away and so many people who don't have anywhere else to turn for hope, could the church actually start to be that hopeful? In your conversations this week, will you project hope? Will you project peace? Will you project compassion and understanding wherever they're at? We as a church, as Matt mentioned, are looking and exploring ways that we can tangibly step in. So we want to encourage you to pay attention to some announcements coming up this week as we're looking at partnering with our city and with some of the schools to meet some of the the needs, the hunger needs that some of the kids who maybe were depending on school lunches as those are being taken away. We found that there's many uh, senior citizens in Encinitas who participate in a daily lunch program at the community center. That's been taken away. And so as a church, we're actually looking at ways, how can we step into those spaces and, and demonstrate that God provides, and sometimes he uses people, and also in a time when everything's stripped away, we can be generous as an act of worship demonstrating our dependence is on God. So let's not look at this season as a season of gloom, but actually a season of hope. And how great that we are going to continue to pray for Easter celebration that's coming up. We believe that God wants to use it this year to reach many, many people for Christ. And I don't think that plan has changed. It might look different, but we're going to find a way to move forward. And so let's continue to pray. Let's learn to be dependent on Him, building our trust, learning contentment, and worshiping as we trust who He is. I want to pray a prayer with us as we prepare to sing one final song of worship wherever you are. And this prayer was shared in one of the many emails that are going around today. And I think of one of these as we are going into grocery stores and finding empty shelves as I went into last night. When we're maybe driving around and seeing baseball fields empty Tomorrow morning when our, we wake up on Monday morning and our kids are still there, not going to school. <laughs> when all of these unknowns happen for us, I think this prayer is a prayer that is well-worded. So pray with me as I read this that was sent to me this week. It says this, Lord God, whatever happens today, it doesn't catch you off guard. It doesn't diminish your love for us. Whatever happens today, you are still bigger. You are still in charge. Lord, whatever happens today, you can bring good from it and further your purposes. You are with us and you are for us. Whatever happens today, we continue to trust you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our sustainer, our guide, our provider, our protector. Amen.